Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. Today's digital-driven trends are transforming food and beverage deal-making as an evolving landscape plays out in the backdrop. And although some trends we've seen have created significant challenges, they've also presented a lot of opportunity. To discuss this more in depth, I'm joined by Chris Kane, co-chair of Foley & Lardner's Transaction Practice, who counsels fast-growing healthy food and beverage companies. Hi, Chris, and welcome to the NutraCast. Hi, Danielle. Happy to be here. Thanks for, for having me. Thank you for joining me. So let's talk about this Gen Z-driven era of TikTok and influencer marketing and, and how it's kind of paving the way for a new food and beverage culture. Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's a couple couple of things going on there. One is sort of the pre-existing trend we've seen towards what I'll call sort of the democratization of better for you, healthier for you foods, right? People are increasingly aware of what they're ingesting, what they're putting into their body and expecting and demanding product to sort of match that, right? So not only just eating healthier per se, but picking beverages, snacks, supplements that have targeted benefits for the body, right? So that's part of a general trend. But second, what I think we're seeing with Gen Z and sort of the confluence of social media, particularly TikTok, and how a lot of uh, Gen Zers, if they had their choice, their chosen profession would be to be an influencer, right? To have yep. millions of followers and to, and to monetize their influence. And so I think when they're looking at ways they can do that, particularly when we've been in a period where almost in a recession or where things are are tough and money might be tight or the fact that you're just 21 or 22 and can't afford to blog or, or TikTok about your trips to Tahiti, they're looking for ways where they can make a difference. And, and sort of the luxury food has been something that certainly has exploded. And the way I view that is, you know, from a luxury food perspective, it's probably no better personified than what's happening with Air One, right? And Air One, or if you look on the East Coast in the, in the Hamptons, there's uh, a store called Round Swamp and one called Citarella, where, you know, these companies, one of the things they specialize in is, you know, selling the $45 pint of high-end mac and cheese or the, you know, $25 smoothie that's co-branded by Justin Bieber's wife, right? Or something else that's sort of super high-priced coffee coffee drinks or whatever they are. And it allows them, I think, on the one hand, to feel like they're indulging themselves. Everyone wants to feel like they have the ability to spoil themselves in a way that makes sense monetarily. Uh, but I think it also gives them that platform or that reason to try to be an influencer, right? And so it allows them to shoot these videos where they show themselves going into Erewhon, you know, doing a quote unquote Erewhon haul and, you know, buying seven items for $120 and then coming out and sort of eating them and demonstrating them in front of the audience. So I think that's when that's been part of the second larger trend when you look at the folks that are in the Gen Z age. Okay. And are you seeing this sort of extend to categories like sports nutrition, functional beverages, and even the VMS category? Yeah, no, absolutely. Because again, there's been this trend of the better for you. And as part of that is driven by health and wellness, and that can extend to training, right? So my, if I'm working out, am I taking products or supplements that are designed to give me an edge, right? Or to be better for my body. And you certainly see that with smoothies, you certainly see, you know, which can be loaded up with all sorts of adaptogens. And I will say generally the adaptogenic beverage market, right, whether it's the smoothie, which is made on the spot, or probably even more importantly, you know, the, the prepackaged drinks, right? If you look at what has happened to 
the aisles of Erewhon or Whole Foods from five, six years ago, where, you know, you had your ready to drink coffee, your kombucha, things like that. It's now just exploded with so many SKUs based on drinks that are loaded with various adaptogens, right? For immunity, oxygen abuse, strength, helping you sleep. So that is a category that, again, was part of that broader trend, but is also part of that, that Gen Z trend as well, because it's not only, hey, this is a $25 smoothie, but it's loaded with this particular acid or this particular supplement that's supposed to, that's designed to give me this, you know, additional benefit, whether that's, you know, psychosomatic or true. I think that's sort of besides the point, but it is very important, I think, to the decision to buy the product in the first place, right? It's not just the price point, it's the purported purported benefits that the addition of the adaptogens will have on my health and wellness if I buy the product and I consume it. And then does social media play a role? Like, are people buying this just to take a picture and post it on Instagram to say that they did it? A hundred percent. Again, I think maybe not, you know, certainly not someone of my age, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but certainly I think, yes, I think the Instagram TikTok crowd, that is 150% a motivator, right? And not only in creating the trends in and of themselves, right? There's no doubt that these mega influencers have the ability, whether it's directly sponsored or not, they have the ability to drive an enormous amount of traffic to a website or to a physical store, you know, to try a product, um, number one. But number two, again, going back to my earlier point of, hey, I want to spoil myself and I also want a reason to have a platform to try to be an influencer, this sort of luxury food, these better for you foods are a way that I as a Gen Z person can afford to do that. And that's one of the reasons that's driving me to, uh, as a Gen Z or to be active in that category. Yeah. And if they can't afford it, perhaps it's their parents, like my daughter, for instance. I, I gave her my phone to order something off of Starbucks the other day. And when I looked at it, it was like an $8 drink. And I, I had to say, no, 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 no. <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, but anecdotally. There's a lot of parents who are willing to, to pay that. Absolutely. And anecdotally, there, there's been articles, um, I can't remember if it was the Wall Street Journal, a recent one that I just read, where, and again, I'm bringing up Erewhon because it's been so demonstrative of this sort of explosion in the Gen Z luxury market. The Wall Street Journal and maybe the New York Times had an article recently where some Gen Zers are, are taking on an extra job just in order to generate additional money that they then can deploy at Erewhon, because again, they're dropping on average, you know, $50, $60 per visit. And they need that. Uh, if they can't get it from mom and dad, to your point on the credit card, they've got to they've got to get that extra job in order to get that uh, that $25 uh, smoothie on a regular basis. Yeah. And I guess I should have asked you this earlier, but for those who aren't familiar, what is Erewhon? Oh, so Erewhon is a large sort of sort of Whole Foods-esque retailer solely in California. They used to be nationwide years ago. The company's actually been around, I think, since the late 60s, but I think went through a bankruptcy in the early 2000s, got bought by two gentlemen, I think, in 2011, when there was just one store in Los Angeles. I think they've now expanded to three or four, and they have become the masters at marketing to the Gen Zs in the better for you category. And so if you go onto TikTok and you just search a healthy food and beverage or Erwan Hall, you will see thousands of videos of, of Gen Zers. Again, I'm not kidding. They will go and they will spend $120 on six items um, <laughs> at Irwan and then go to the go out to their car or go out to the, the seating area and, and shoot a video as they're going through their their sushi sandwich or things like that and, and demonstrating the, the product that, that they bought at Irwan. So that's what Irwan is. Wow, what a what a life we're living right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm just thinking about 
a lot of these random trends that have come out, creatine, chlorella, for instance, you know, when these things go viral, do you know, are you familiar with, you know, how that impacts supply chains? Well, I mean, yes, it's sort of the law of supply and demand, right? I mean, we saw this in COVID, obviously, for different reasons, when people were pent up and just ordering and not going out, and we saw shortages all over, whether it was related to chips for cars or components for different electronics or different, you know, materials that would go into food. But I think absolutely, when you see, you know, social media sites like TikTok in particular, I mean, they're obviously the dominant player in the landscape right now, you know, even obviously way more than Facebook or Instagram, et cetera, and so forth. And um, the ability for something to go viral so quick, particularly for these people who are particularly influential on the platform, and the ability now in this day and age to pretty much instantly buy it if I see it, right? Whether it's a, a recipe that I'm going to do, I can go to the store and, and buy the ingredients and make it, or I can go to Erewhon, or if it's a product and I quickly Google it, it's D to C and I can order it, or it's on Amazon. And as we all know, Amazon's getting increasingly proficient at same day delivery, right? It's sort of ridiculous. I order something at 10 o'clock on a Sunday of all things, and they get the U S postal service on a Sunday to deliver it three hours later. Right? So I think the ability to instantly get what I want, the ability to instantly reach millions of people through a platform can absolutely have supply chain impacts. Now, I think those that are approaching social media influencers more purposely, right? So if you're working with a social media influencer uh, as a food and beverage manufacturer and you have a formal relationship with them, well, certainly you can sort of prepare for that, right? Hey, we're launching a new product. We want you, Danielle, or one of our social media influencers to you know, launch about the drop of the product. They can prepare for it. But I think some of these viral trends that pop out of nowhere, you know, sort of like the Pringles and caviar example, that's another one, right? It's that sort of comes out of left field, right? I think there's the the proactive I'm planning for this as a healthy food and beverage company, and I'm going to use Danielle as my influencer. And then there's the reactive, right? Where something just happens virally. And I think those are the ones, obviously, the viral out of left field ones can be the ones that can catch people flat footed, which, hey, I could sell as much as I could for a period of time if I had enough product. And in some cases, they don't. Okay. And you you mentioned partnerships. How common are those and how big of a role do those play in all of this? They're huge. I mean, again, if you look back in the nascent days when it was just, you know, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, it certainly was prevalent. I think, you know, TikTok has just accelerated that, right? It's become the, the, the Goliath so quickly. It's, look, I think if you're a, a company in the healthy food and beverage space and you're serious about marketing, you have to have a social media presence and you can obviously have your own and they all do for the most part, right? So I'll have my own TikTok or my own Instagram or I'm on Twitter, et cetera, and so forth. And you try to be witty and wry and, you know, push information there about the product in a way that's appealing to your target audience. But you, almost all of them also use one or more social media influencers, right? And because it's such a relatively speaking, cost-effective way to get the message out there, to get the product out there, to buy eyeballs, so to speak, in a way that, quite frankly, a lot of these healthy food and beverage companies might not have that cachet to do, right? I'm someone, if I'm a Gen Xer, for example, I've, I've probably never been to Kellogg's TikTok or, or you know, Twitter channel, but I certainly follow you know, a bunch of influencers and one of them is pushing a Kellogg's product you know, I'm going to become aware of it, right? So it's almost a no-brainer and a must-have that if you're serious about, again, depending on the demographic, and if it, if it skews towards or a portion of it skews towards, 
you know, the younger set, the Gen Zs, the millennials, to me, it's a non-starter not to have a social influencer as part of your, your marketing campaign, right? Mm-hmm. And then what are some other things like M&A activities? I mean, what benefits do companies gain from that sort of activity? Yeah, so it's an extension of sort of what we were just talking about, which is, you know, obviously, if you're a fast growing, which what I work with a lot, you know, a fast growing emerging growth company in the healthy food and beverage space, usually your goal is to grow the business to a scale where it reaches the attention of a larger player in the field and they acquire you, right? And so the value there, of course, is the exit. You grew a business, you had an exit, you monetized it, maybe you do it again. That's sort of the 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 venture capital golden rule, right? Start a business, grow a business, fund a business, sell the business, use some of those proceeds, do it all over again. On the buy side, however, again, particularly if you're a larger player in the space, and this has gone on for a long, long time, it's a way to buy sort of street credibility and get yourself into a category or into a demographic that you couldn't get in on your own just because you, you're viewed as too old and stodgy. You don't have the street cred. Maybe you don't have the, you know, the ingenuity. You're just too sort of set in your ways. And so by purchasing a company that has strong influence with influencers and also with younger people, it's a great way to buy that credibility, right? I mean, for example, I mean, several years ago, I represented RX Bar, uh, which was one of the leading and still one of the leading protein bar, uh, better for you snack supplements or snack bars in the space. And they got bought by Kellogg. And in no doubt, because the market was looking for, larger companies were looking for better for you, limited ingredient snack bars. And RX Bar was there. They had the, the street cred, you know, with the relevant market. And there was a way for Kellogg's to sort of instantly buy that street cred and buy that demographic. So that's a big part of it. But when you look at outside of that, you know, the traditional benefits that you get as an acquirer of another company outside of that that branding and the additional product and the street cred is there's usually synergy and cost efficiencies, right? If you bring another product in-house, you can usually eliminate or reduce the redundancy you might have in really all areas, whether it's accounting, marketing, supply chain, sales, you have the ability to fold that product into your existing structure and benefit from the scaling and, and the efficiency that gets from that. You may also get talent acquisition. So again, a lot of times some of these companies don't have the talent. Someone comes up with a truly innovative product and they've shown as a company the ability to repeatedly deliver innovative products. Well, one way to acquire that sort of brain capital is to buy it, right? So that's another big advantage of, of M&A is to, you know, get that additional sort of brain power or creativity, someone, someone or a group of people who really get what they're doing and they can have hits over and over again, right? That's very, very important because it's very difficult to do. And then the last thing I'll probably mention is diversification, right? And that's often one of the classic reasons to engage in M&A. Look, I'm really good at this. I've built up a portfolio of products in this vertical, and maybe this new product is additive to that vertical, but it's something that I didn't cover. Or maybe it's a new vertical that is different, but very complementary, right? And now it allows me to reach maybe the same people, but with a different product skew, or a new set of people who might not have necessarily been interested in what my current product mix was, but they'll definitely be interested in this. And so it allows you to sort of diversify your offering, which again, from a sort of a risk perspective, is, is generally always good for companies. Good to know. And then from like a FDA regulatory perspective, what are some things that companies should consider? I think, I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, as we know, the FDA takes a very strict view on, 
you know, products in the market, particularly claims that are being made about a product. If you're making claims, do you have the science and the research to back it up? You know, what are you calling your product, the ingredients, you know, the size of the labels, things like that. So it's a heavy, heavily regulated industry. And particularly if you're getting into a new product line or a product line you're not as familiar with, you know, it's really important. Probably the biggest thing is doing your diligence on making sure the company that I'm acquiring, did they do and are they doing all of the things they needed to do from a regulatory standpoint? Particularly if you're buying, again, a lot of the companies that I represent are coming, they're younger, they're growing quickly, they're sometimes growing more quickly than their resources allow them in terms of maybe they're not crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's, right? They're, they're, they're sort of operating under the model of, you know, better to beg forgiveness than ask permission, which is never something I would advise to companies if I'm working with them. But look, the practical, the practical answer is if you're a young company and you've got limited capital and you've got decisions to make and you're trying to grow your product and you're trying to make more money and generate revenue so you can continue to sustain the business or sell it to a larger player, sometimes they make those decisions. And so, some, you know, and those decisions are at sort of the cost of 100% compliance with, with applicable FDA regulations and rules and FTC, by the way, as well, right, who, can, mm-hmm. who talks about whether things are deceptive and unfair as it relates to claims. So that's probably the biggest risk area for a company looking to acquire, particularly a younger company, is just making sure from a diligence perspective, you know where the skeletons are. It's, you know, we represent a lot of larger companies that buy smaller companies too, and it doesn't usually kill the deal. But I think you need to be aware of the risks and where the potholes are, where the company you're looking to acquire has maybe not done everything they need to do. So you have a plan going forward once and if you acquire them, hey, we need to remediate these, we need to fix these so we can mitigate our risk going forward. That's that's probably the number one issue that you run into on, on the M&A front when you're talking about regulatory issues and compliance. Okay, lots of great things to keep in mind. Uh, before I let you go, are there any other sort of up-and-coming trends or maybe even regulatory issues that you're keeping an eye on? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the trends we sort of talked about, I think the sustainable and the wellness category are continuing. That, that growth trend is not done, obviously, because I think, as I said at the outset, sort of the democratization of better-for-you food, as is the case in a lot of verticals, things when they first come out, trends when they come out, they're often at a price point or limited availability, where if you don't, unless you live in New York and you make a certain amount of money, it's not available and you, you can't really afford it. And then as with, it, it starts to democratize and it, you know, D to C, more retail outlets, the price comes down. I think as a category, sustainable and wellness is going to continue to be very important to people, right? So not just at the Gen Zers, but, but sort of all of us, right? Because I think it's getting easier, more cost affordable, and more expected that there's going to be continued transparency and greater transparency of what am I buying? What am I eating? What impact will have it on my body? Not only to minimize the harmful stuff, but to try to maximize and be aware of the, the benefits, whether it's adaptogens or otherwise, the products I'm, I'm consuming and the ingredients that they have, right? And I think from a regulatory perspective, you know, probably one of a couple that I'll mention. I mean, one, the FDA hasn't really updated its definition of healthy for food labeling purposes since 1994. We're expecting guidance soon. It was supposed to be this year. I don't know if it's going to be this year. Obviously, that dovetails nicely with what I was just talking about. You know, if you in that sustainable and healthy and better for you market, a lot of products are calling themselves healthy. What does that mean? The FDA feels that they need to provide greater clarity to consumers about what it actually means if something's going to be called healthy. And then from a, a supplement perspective, there's the whole cabinets, right? The CBD space, right? So obviously as more and more states have legalized CBD, 
you know, legalized cannabis. There's been an explosion of products on shelves in DTC that have CBD, you know, that make all sorts of claims. You know, and right now the FDA is taking the position that it's not authorizing. I, th- I think it's authorized one product for epilepsy that has CBD in it. But outside of that, when we talk about food supplements generally, the agency hasn't approved, at least to my knowledge right now, um, any other CBD products for human or animal con- consumption, right? So if you're making you know, health claims, you're probably going to get in trouble, right? So that's one of those areas that I think is in evolution. And I think the FDA realizes that they need to address this. You know, in, by way of disclaimer, I'm, a, I'm an M&A business attorney. I'm not a regulatory attorney. So take this with a grain of salt. But from my perspective, we're seeing a lot of clients who have CBD products either standalone or mixed with other ingredients. And they would like to make certain claims that I think that they think are backed by research. But until the FDA comes out with you know, guidelines and regulations that permit that, that, be, that continues to be sort of a gray area, right? Just like I think sort of the legalized, ca- uh, legalized cannabis market is also still sort of a gray area when you're talking about from a federal perspective, right? Versus from a state perspective. Yeah, uh, a gray area at best. <laughs> yeah, a gray area at best. Yeah. Chris Kane, co-chair of Foley Lardner's Transaction Practice. Thank you so much for breaking down some of those digital trends for us and perhaps bringing some street cred here to the NutriCast. Happy to help, Danielle. It's been a pleasure being on your program. I I appreciate the opportunity. If you like what you just heard, you can subscribe to the NutraCast wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head to NutraIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutra-related content. Thank you for listening. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutraCast next week.